moment, let's, let's pray for our own hearts as we come to hear from God's word and that our hearts would be open and receptive to hear what, what God has to say to us this morning. Let's, let's pray. God, our prayer is simple before you this morning. We ask that you would come and that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds, into our lives, into our situations, into our emotions. God, that you would speak clearly. Father, that we would see Jesus and that our hearts would be warmed to our Saviour. And our hearts would be warmed in such a way that we would have such a desire to be more like him in our hearts. God, we, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is the word of life, the word of truth, and is given to us as a gift. Lord, open our hearts. Make them receptive to hear what you have to say. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And good morning, everyone. And it's good to be around God's Word again, if you have a Bible. And please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. As I said last week, we are picking up the Sermon on the Mount again. Just last year, this time last year, we went through each Beatitude. And so we are going to continue and really work our way through this Sermon on the Mount and which will take us up to December. This morning, I'm going to read the Beatitudes again, because it's helpful for us just to see the flow of the passage here. So we'll read Matthew 5 from verse 1, and we'll go down to verse 16. This morning, our focus will be verses 13 to 16, but let's read from Matthew 5 and verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and that are all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. By way of introduction this morning, I I simply want to just recap on some of what we thought about last year to really jog our memory of context. The writer here is Matthew, or Levi, the text collector, the one called by Jesus, which you can read about in Matthew 9. Matthew 5 um, is, and through to 7.28, known as the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the first of five teaching blocks um, by Jesus. If you just look there, Matthew 4.25, we read that great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. And seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. What we see here is Jesus' disciples sitting at his feet, learning from him. And that's exactly what we want to do over these next weeks. We want to sit at the feet of Jesus, as it were, and learn from him. You may remember from last year, we considered different approaches to the Sermon on the Mount. Some will look at the Sermon on the Mount as as primarily like, like a cranking up of Old Testament law, setting the bar even higher. Some view it as a lesson in how to live now in light of our future. Some view it as wisdom teaching. And while each of these strands are indeed evident in the sermon, it is primarily a sermon on new kingdom life that Jesus himself is bringing. It's a sermon about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, what it is and what it looks like. And it's no thwarting worth noting that Jesus begins his ministry um, by teaching what life is like in the kingdom of heaven. Because that's important for Matthew's Jewish audience. It's important for them to see clearly what the kingdom is and what it is not. You see, the kingdom of heaven is starkly different from the kingdom of this world. And the Beatitudes clearly demonstrated that to us. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And so on. See, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is stating his people are 
truly blessed. And this blessing looks very different from the world's blessing. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says of the Beatitudes. He says, The glory of the church is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. In other words, who we are as God's strange people, which Jesus declares in the Beatitudes, that is the very means that God will use to bring others into his kingdom. When we live distinct in this world, we make a difference for the kingdom in the world and context where we live. And in the verses that we're going to focus on today, verses 13 to 16, Jesus uses two common metaphors to show this truth, that through God's people, ordinary people, God accomplishes his extraordinary work. So let's just read those verses again, verses 13 to 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, you are salt. You are light. The the emphasis here is is on you, God's people. You are salt. You are light. Jesus doesn't say you must become salt. He doesn't say you must become light, but you are salt. You are light. Similar to the Beatitudes, Jesus declares what is already true of his people. Jesus' people are salt and light, and because of that, there are implications. There are natural actions that flow. There are responsibilities. It's similar to who we are in other contexts. So if you're a parent, you are a parent. That's fact. You can't change that. You are a parent Therefore, you love, you care, you protect your children. If you're a teacher, you are a teacher. That's the statement. Therefore, you prep, you teach, you instruct, and so on. And this morning we want to think now what those implications, those natural actions or responsibilities are that come from being salt and light. 
So firstly, let's think about salt. You are salt. Now the main purpose of of salt at the time was to um, preserve meat. You've got to think, hot climate, no fridge. Salt was essential to prevent decay. And Jesus is saying, Christian, because you are salt, your job in this world, where God has placed you, is to prevent decay. You see, this world is rotting because of sin. It's really not difficult to look at the world around us to see much that we don't agree with, to see much that that doesn't line up with God's word. And you see, as God's people, we have very different moral standards to the world. But if we want to be useful as salts, we cannot distance ourselves from the rot. Listen to what John Stott says. He says, Christian salt has no business to remain snugly in elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. He says, our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat to stop it going bad. That's good, isn't it? And he makes the very simple point, if we want to make a positive influence in the society where we lived, where God has placed us, then we've got to be among non-believers, those who are not already in the kingdom. And if we want to be useful among non-believers, well then we've got to be distinct. You see, that's the whole argument here from from the Beatitudes flowing into salt and light. Jesus declares in the Beatitudes, this is who you are as God's people, and that is how you influence the world in which you live, by your very being. See, our usefulness as salt is determined by our distinctness. Are you among non-Christians? Do you know non-Christians? Have you someone you can call a friend that isn't a believer? If you are in what we would call secular employment, and by that I simply mean working with people who are not Christians day by day, thank God for that. If you live surrounded by non-believers, thank God for that. If you belong to a a sports team or something else with non-Christians, thank God for that. We need Christians. This world needs Christians. We, We need salt rubbed into all areas of society to prevent further decay. We need Christians in education and business and arts and sports and politics in the home. And so we've got to ask, what does it actually look like to be salt in those contexts? Well, it may mean the courage to speak up or to speak for or even to speak against 
And, and, and that may lead to conversation that will prevent or, or delay further moral decay. But you know what? As, as people know us, as they know our way of life, our, our very being influences for good and protects moral decay. One, one simple example. If you don't use curse words, often people around you will not use those words. Or, or, or people might, might say something and say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that in front of you. That's just a simple thing, but, but to bigger choices that have bigger impacts, when we are known and respected in our context, people will be more reluctant to bring up or to discuss or to push agendas that they know are against our being. We've got to be with non-Christians, and we've got to be distinct. The salt has got to be rubbed into the meat. We as salt have got to be rubbed into the community where God has placed us. So salt preserves meat. Salt flavors food. I actually rarely add salt to my food, but... Um, give me a chip and I want a good heap of, of salt on there. A chip without salt, I could probably take it or leave it. But a chip with salt, well, I really want it. And the point here is that we, we add flavor, in a sense, to the world. We, we make the kingdom of God desirable and attractive. I read this quote a couple of times um, it's, it's from the poet Robert, Robert Louis Stevenson who once entered in his diary I have been to church today and I'm not depressed he, he thought it noteworthy that actually to spend time with God's people and not be depressed you see the point if we are dull and, and glum if we as, as Christians, as children of the kingdom, if we're pessimistic about everything in life, well, it's not very attractive, is it? We, we want to live in such a way that the people, they actually want to be like us. They want to have what we have. That as we live with different values from this world, we want to show joy and hope and contentment and ultimate comfort that people long for. Think about those, some of those Beatitudes again. When we are merciful and peacemaking, well, well, people are going to be attracted to that. But when we are willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, people can't help being intrigued and drawn to that. Salt preserves and salt adds flavour. There is a condition... If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The salt was different then to now, I am told, as it could contain many impurities. And so water could 
wash through it, dissolving the sodium chloride, the salt, but actually still leave a residue that looked like salt, yet lacked the flavour of salt. And the point here is that if we are around non-Christians and and we're just like them, we'll not influence them. There will be nothing to to draw them or attract them to us. And it brings us back to that point again. Our usefulness is determined by our distinctness. So that's salt. Secondly, let's think about light. You are the light of the world. Now we're probably more used to thinking of Jesus as the light of the world. And so when Jesus says his, to his people, you are the light of the world, the, the first thing we must realise is how privileged we are. Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, If our God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, the light that we are, the light that is within us, is Jesus Christ. Spurgeon says, the object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all, but that they may see grace in us and God in us. You see, the the light that we are, the light that we have, is, is the gospel of God, Jesus Christ. The light of men, the light that shines in the darkness, John 1. See, Jesus Christ came as the light to this dark world. A world that had become dark because of sin. He's the only one that can bring light to this world. He's the only one that can bring men from darkness to light. He's the only one who can provide forgiveness of sins through his death and eternal life through his resurrection. John says in in John 12, While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. See, so you're here today, you are hearing now Jesus Christ is the only way to have forgiveness of sins and life forever. John says, do not miss this opportunity. Do not miss the opportunity now to come away from the darkness and into the glorious light. So you see, to say that we are the light of the world is to say we are the ones who bring the knowledge of the light of Jesus Christ to a dark world. This has always been the purpose of God's people. Isaiah said that that God's people are a light to the nations. In, In Luke 2, when Jesus was presented in the temple, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and said that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. 
In Acts 13, we see that Gentiles came to faith in the Lord after Paul quotes from Isaiah that God has made his people a light for the Gentiles. See, God promised his light would come. Jesus came as God's light. Now that we have received the light, we give, we shine the light to others, primarily through sharing the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now note again, you are the light of the world. Okay, you're not the light of the church. We are to bring light where there is darkness. In other words, we are to be with people who are in the dark, who have no awareness of their sin, and who need Jesus. Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. We're not to be like a small village who no one ever really sees their light. We're to be like a city on a hill whose lights can be seen for miles. Nor, verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and, and put it under a basket. That, that light that's hidden, it's useless. But what do they do? They put it on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. Why do they put it on a stand? So it's more effective. So it's more useful. You, you see, as, as we are the light, we've got to very intentionally... That's the point of putting it on a stand. We've got to very intentionally let our light shine, as Paul says to the Philippians, in this dark world. We have neighbours and friends who are Hindu. And the first time Emma went to their house, the lady Saranya, she said to Emma, come in and let me introduce you to my gods. Isn't that such a challenge to us? We're not to hide who we are. We're not to hide who Christ is. Jesus says, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good works here is, is really referring to everything a Christian does or says. Paul exhorts the Ephesians to walk as children of light, that is, to live as children of the kingdom, which we have seen um, in the Beatitudes, and we'll continue to see as we continue to work our way through this sermon. And the point there. It is how we live that provides the opportunity to proclaim Christ. Peter makes the same point. He instructs the believers how to live in their various contexts as God's people at home in the workplace, how they relate to authority. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that very similar words to what Jesus says. When they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See? There, there's something about how we live as Christians, 
whether others like it or not, there's something that they cannot deny and that makes them question and ask us about the hope that is within us. And, and you know, if we, we look at all Paul's letters overall, he makes the very same point in all his letters. But Paul's letters have been called by some as the, the mission letters. Because Paul writes to believing churches. Of course, his overall goal is that the church will grow. Is that others will come to put their faith in Christ. And yet, what is, his, what is Paul's focus as he writes to all the churches? It's holiness. It's Christ-likeness. It's the distinctness of God's people. Each letter Paul writes has, has the same pattern. This is who you are in Christ, is the first chapters. Then live as you are in Christ. You see the point again? It is as we live distinctly as children of light, children of the kingdom, that provides us with the opportunity to proclaim the light of the world, the ruler of the kingdom, Christ. Your effectiveness in evangelism is determined by our distinctness, distinctiveness. Now, as we live as the light of the world, um, there are two things I believe the light will do. The light will expose the darkness. Our living in the light will expose those who are living in the dark. And people will not always like that. At my mum's house, if I would walk into a room and, and put the, the ceiling light on, the big light, as we tend to call it for Northern Ireland, um, if I put that light on, she would say, turn that off so you don't show my wrinkles. And she's here today, she'll be out like a flash after now so nobody can see them. <laughs> But you see the point, people don't always like what the light exposes. Because light exposes sin and darkness. Even those people who seem very good on the outside, if they do not know Christ, they are living in darkness. We are the light of the world. Allow your light to shine. This may not be easy or comfortable, but until people know they are in sin and darkness, they will never know they need rescued by the light. And when people recognize they are in darkness, then our role as lights to the world is to guide them to Jesus Christ. Light exposes and light guides. We guide them to Jesus Christ, the light they need, the only one who can bring forgiveness of sins and life forever. Do you know, as we think about being salt and light, as we think about evangelism, evangelism bringing Christ to a lost world, sometimes we'll, we'll debate whether in a given context, Perhaps social justice or evangelism is more necessary. 
And from what we thought about today, salt is like the social justice work. You know, being in our communities, influencing our communities for good. The light is, is the evangelism, proclaiming Jesus Christ. And to be honest, I don't think there's any debate to have. Because whatever your given context is, Remember, you are salt. You are light. You're not salt here and then light there. You are salt, bringing a good and godly influence to your given context. You are light, pointing to and proclaiming Christ. As we finish... I would love you to take some time to think through what it means for you in your context, what it means that you are salt and you are light. At our last members meeting in March, we took time to discuss evangelism, what that might look, for us, look like for us, what small steps we can take. And in our October's member meeting this year, what we want to do is have follow-up to that conversation. So just to think, how, how have you found evangelism in these past number of months? Have you been able to get to know non-believers? Have you had opportunity, made the opportunity to proclaim Christ? Perhaps what has been tricky? What has been challenging? How can we help each other? So let's take time over the next few weeks, continue to think on these things. Come prepared in October to share so we can have another productive members meeting. And hopefully this teaching from Jesus this morning has been helpful for us. Let's come to God now and let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful this morning um, for Jesus Christ. The one who brought a a new kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. Uh, Father, we're so thankful for his work um, in his life, death and resurrection, bringing us into the kingdom, transferring us from the domain of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the beloved Son. Father, we are thankful for the privilege of who we are, that we are salt and we are light. And Father, we long to be useful where you have placed us. Father, help us to continue to think these things through. How you can wisely be salt where you have placed us. How we can just rub more and more into the community. May people know us, who we are as children of the kingdom. May they respect us. And may we have a good influence where you have placed us. Father, we long to proclaim Christ. And so God, will you just give us courage or whatever we need to proclaim Christ where you have placed us. Not to be afraid to expose the darkness and point others to the light that is Jesus Christ. Lord, may our lights shine 
brightly, put on a stand, as it were, unashamedly, proclaiming who we are in Christ and who Christ is. Father, work in our hearts, we pray, for your own sake and glory. Amen. Amen. As we come around the Lord's table, we're, we're going to stand and, and sing together just now a song to help us focus on Christ. So let's stand as we sing Lamb of God.